please, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to take a minute to look into Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolishness, heart, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit To acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take this time to reflect upon your word, we pray that you would give us the grace and understanding to accept this truth and that you would you would help us understand how important it is to you and that you would not allow other things to come before the truth of your word we pray that you would give pastor the wisdom how to say the words that you've given him to say we pray that you would give each one of us the ears to hear what you have for us we ask these things in your precious name amen seated So many were so kind last week in wishing me happy birthday, and now it's all downhill from there. I'm going to have to sit down because of some pain I'm having. I do appreciate your patience. And of course, I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, guys. Not sure if that's me or not, but I do appreciate your patience as we look into God's Word today, and I appreciate Pastor Nathan's prayer. As we look into God's Word, we're jumping into this series in Romans, and I hope it's been a blessing to you so far. 
Um, there is good news. That is what the book of Romans is all about. But oftentimes when we talk about good news, we understand that we don't have the good news unless first there had to be some what? Some bad news. Have you ever heard somebody or have you yourself use the expression, I've got good news and I've got bad news? Why do people say that? Why is it, you know, when they've got something bad to say, it's like they go and try to grasp something to say to lighten it a little bit or to make it a little bit better. And so they'll say, I've got some good news and bad news. And then sometimes they'll ask a question after that. They'll say, which do you want first? Like that. How many of you like to have the bad news first? Raise your hand. All right, I see hands all over. How many like the good news first? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, a few of us that are like that. And so when we look at the book of Romans and we look at what the Apostle Paul is doing, he is addressing some problems in the church. You'll remember if, if, if you were part of our introduction to the book, the church is having problems, which means they're a normal church, right? I don't mean to discourage us, but every church is full of people and that's why we have problems. And so as he addresses this problem between some people who think they are better than others and vice versa, remember the two groups, it was those meat eaters versus the vegetarians, and they were really having some problems with that. The Apostle Paul is going to have to break both of them down, starting in verse number 18 of chapter 1 and going all the way through chapter 3, I believe verse 20, we find the theme that there is nobody who is righteous. We're going to see that very clearly today. There is none righteous, no, not one. Doesn't matter which side in the church of Rome you are at. You need to be very, very careful that you are not thinking that you are better than other ones who are following Jesus Christ, part of your fellowship. And also, you need to do your best to make sure the church family is unified. Before he does that, he has to say, well, the whole theme of the book of Romans is there's good news. The gospel actually means good news. You know that, right? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But there would be no good news unless first there was what? Some bad news. And just so we're being transparent here, it is really, really bad. The theme that we're talking about today and where the Apostle Paul starts, the second half of the book, of the first chapter of Romans, is talking about the wrath of God. Now, we're going to end on a positive note. We are. But when we look at the wrath of God, that clearly is what's coming through here. The foundation of what makes the good news good is what we're going to be talking about. And it's a hard subject because how many of you like to talk about and sing about and praise God for the love of God? I do. That's, that's good stuff, right? I think that was in one of our songs. Our banner cry is, is love. Wasn't that in there? And how do we take this God who is a God of love and also say that he is a God of wrath? And that's where Paul starts. So it is difficult, but Paul is going to show that God's wrath is justified. So we do not have to apologize for serving a God that is a God of wrath. His wrath is justified. So we're going to have an explanation of guilt. All men are guilty, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter what family you were born into, no matter how many laws you've broken or kept, all have fallen short of the glory 
of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So let me just ask the question as we start, why did Jesus come down to this world? We find the answer to that question in a popular verse where it says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so the Apostle Paul is going to say to these people, you need to understand that you were lost. Not some of you were less lost than others. All were lost. None of you was better than another. So he's going to take them down a notch. Some of them needed to be taken down. And then he's going to talk about the wrath of God. Now, when we think about the wrath of God, many times our mind goes right to the wrath of God in the future. Okay? We understand there's going to be a wrath of God. There's going to be a wrath of God on this, on this earth, this planet. It's going to be burned up. And then God's going to make a new one. There will be the wrath of God on sinners who have not turned from their sin and asked for forgiveness. When we think of the wrath of God, oftentimes we think of the wrath of God in the future. But the Apostle Paul is going to be very, very clear today that the wrath of God is present. Present when he wrote this book and present during our day today. We're going to see a a punishment, if you will, or a demonstration of the wrath of God of God. If you're taking notes, three main points today, and the first four words, I believe, on all of them are the same words. God's wrath on unrighteousness are the first words. And the points are all going to come from the text. The applications at the end are all going to come from the text. And then the hope is going to hopefully be something that you can say amen to. I understand how lost I was, and I understand just how far God went so that I don't have to be lost today. Number one, God's wrath on unrighteousness is a result of suppressing truth. God's wrath on unrighteousness, as Paul starts off here, he says it is a result of the suppressing of truth. Look again at verses 18 through 21 with me. For the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived." Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's stop right there. We see in verse 18 the word revealed, and if you back up to the verse before it, you'll see the word revealed also. Where verse 17 says, for in, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And in the very next verse, we start a new theme where it says what is revealed. The wrath of God is now going to be revealed. The truth about God we see is revealed in different ways. And two specific ways that we find in God's Word, and specifically in the book of Romans. We find that the truth about God is demonstrated in man's conscience. And this is a great study for you to do on your own. How much can man know about God? Is man genuinely seeking after a higher power? Do men think there is something greater than themselves? 
And it's a great topic for study. It's a great topic for conversation and maybe even debate. The truth about God can be known in man's conscience and also, and we see it in a colorful way here, the truth of God can be known through nature. Through the cosmos is the picture that we get here. And But even though we find that that is the case, that the truth of God can be known, we know that man, as verse 18 says, suppresses the truth. What do you think is the main reason why men suppress the truth? We're going to get into this in, in just a moment and see that it takes just as much faith, if not more faith, to believe that there is no God. And I think we find that clearly here in this chapter. But when we look at this idea of men suppressing truth, what is the main idea? The main idea is, is they do not want to be under someone like God. They do not want to be judged by God. They want to be like God. They justify and they suppress the truth of God to justify unrighteous living. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so when they look at their own lifestyle, they don't want to change that. And so they suppress the truth of God. Even if you can beat them in a debate, okay? And so some of you have done a good job of studying God's Word. You've taken seriously the challenge to know God's Word and be able to give an answer if someone, you know, asks you a question. And that should be all of our um, a heart that we all have to do that. But even if you could convince someone logically that there is a God and the, ace, the atheism is not true, even if that were the case... We see, as we examine mankind, that even if they have to admit there has to be some kind of a greater being, it does not necessarily mean that they're going to put away their sinful lifestyle. It does not mean they're going to turn to God. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine who has a close friend, and that close friend was one who traveled around and used to debate. He would debate atheists. They would get in front of a group of people like this usually with several atheists and several people that believed in God, and they would have a debate. And what's interesting to me is this individual said he had never lost one debate. When debating some very good atheist, he never lost one single debate. That's not the interesting part. Here's the interesting part. Even though he never lost one debate, he never saw one convert come from that debate. Even if you can prove to a coworker or a family member that their belief in some kind of secular science that says there is no God is not true, it does not guarantee that they are going to turn to God. There is something within man that wants to suppress the truth. Even after our salvation, we know what is right. There is still a battle going on. And I think it's demonstrated in the society around us. That makes us, as followers of God, want to suppress the truth. And so as man does this, we understand that just because you can convince him logically and in an argument doesn't mean he's going to turn to Jesus Christ. And then we see some beautiful language about God can be seen in nature 
A very familiar passage if, if you want some extra notes here. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And then it goes on to say, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It's not just that God was beautiful when He made this world and the nature was beautiful. Still, even in our day when the world has been corrupted by sin, His beauty is revealed. God is seen in nature. In verse 19 of Romans 1, it said, not only is God seen, but He is seen in a plain way. It's obvious. Simply put, you need to understand this. If you can look around and you can see a design in this world, in your body, then there must be a designer. If there is a design that we can observe, then there must be a designer. And so I'm going to ask you to accept that statement, and I'm going to ask you to reject another statement. If there is a design, there must be a designer. Let me give an illustration of a, of a dress, okay? I thought you ladies might appreciate that. When we look at a dress, let's say maybe a simple dress, and we look at it there, let's say it's on display in a window at the mall. And there's two people walking by that dress. It's lovely, nice colors, but just a basic dress. It's not going to happen that one of those two individuals that's walking by that dress is going to look at that and say, I like that dress. And the other person says, I like that dress too. And aren't you amazed that it took millions and millions of years and several explosions for that dress to come into being? Aren't you amazed that that happened? If you were to say that to someone, they would look to you, they would look at you like you were nuts because it's a crazy thing to say. Obviously, if we have a lovely dress there hanging on a mannequin, there was a designer of that dress. And with something as simple as a dress, nobody would argue that that's a result. That came there to that place out of millions of years of time and several explosions. The, the, uh, you know, there was a cosmic burp and everything came into being. That's never going to be something you can prove. And yet when we look at the intricacies of nature, the cycles that we see in this world, and then the beauty that we have in science where we can observe the human body and how it continues. Tomorrow, you understand that you're going to take in breath and your lungs are going to fill and then you're going to exhale. This beautiful pattern. And for individuals to think that there could be a design without a designer is foolish. Here's what they're asking you to believe and what I'm going to tell you to reject. What they want you to believe is there is no God, so no one and there was nothing in the beginning, so no one plus nothing equals, what do they want you to believe? Everything. And you must reject this. And I'm telling you, I think it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that there is a God who created us for His glory. And the reason why men resist it so much is because they want to justify their own lifestyle. They don't want anybody above them I love with that, when in that temptation we see with Adam and Eve, the idea was they could be like God. They didn't go for a huge power grab in being above God. They just wanted to be equal with God. 
And that's where we lean. We lean on this idea of not wanting to be held accountable. There is a strong influence that wants you to believe that order came from chaos, and that is ridiculous, no matter what people around you in your society might say. You need to reject that. So number one, God's wrath on unrighteousness is a result of men suppressing truth. Number two, God's wrath on unrighteousness is a result of exchanging God worship for other worship. Exchanging God worship for other worship. We'll go quickly through this one. Look at verses 22 and 23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's stop right there. I didn't want to rush past this because many of you are thinking, okay, I'm seeing verse 23 And as I go throughout my day, as I travel even to different, you know, places of faith, I don't see statues of frogs that they're bowing down to. Is this really something we need to talk about today? I don't see these different idols. We know when we look at the Ten Commandments, it says, do not make any graven image to bow down to. But I don't want to rush past this so quickly. I don't want you to dismiss this point. Because the idea is not necessarily that someone has to be bowing down to some kind of a, of a, a man-made idol for, this to be, um, for there to be a problem that Paul's talking about here. The idea is exchanging worship. There is only one being that deserves the worship of man, and that being is God. God deserves your, worth, your worship. He is worth worshiping, worth everything in our lives. As I asked one person what they thought of as idolatry today, we don't think of the bowing down to the animals necessarily. This person told me, they said, well, I think that probably television is one of these idols that we have today. If you want to do some further research on this, I'm going to point you to the writings of the wisest man that ever walked on the earth, Solomon. And as Solomon gave us the book of Ecclesiastes, he started out following God. And his heart was turned away. Do you remember what turned his heart away? It was the wives, the women that turned his heart after his God. And then he went looking for satisfaction. There may have been some graven images back in Solomon's days, but we don't find a lot of focus on that. Instead, what we find to focus on with Solomon in what took his worship away from God to being on something else There's three things that we find right away that he exhausted his resources to go after. Solomon exhausted his resources and tried to find purpose and happiness in life, and really it took a place of worship in his life in the area of riches. Riches. Nobody richer than Solomon. He built it. He was was a genius, and he was one who went after riches, and in the end he said, it does not satisfy Also, what Solomon went after that I think applies to our day today is the idea of knowledge. He went after knowledge. He got in. He took in as much as he could. And it did not satisfy. And in our day, there are some people going for that next level of knowledge, that next level of information, that next degree, thinking if they can finally get to the top of the ladder, they'll find satisfaction. 
And Solomon said so many years ago, you won't find it. You won't find it in riches. You won't find it in knowledge. And you won't find it in, and this is what my friend said to me when he mentioned television, you won't find it in self-indulgence. He tried everything under the sun, Solomon did. And he said about those three things, they all come up empty. Do not replace the worship of God, which means God in the number one position for anything else. And I think that's a constant battle for the follower of Jesus Christ. The devil will let God be in there, maybe at number two, maybe at number five, as far as what drives you. But if you're driven by something else, that is replacing that. I love when we look at the Hebrew children and when they were set free in Egypt. And the first time that Moses goes and goes up on the mountain, what did they make? They made a golden idol. They got that idea of that idol from the society that they lived in. They knew nothing. They were slaves. They had to figure out laws. They had to figure out how to live. And so when they first had a chance, they made a golden idol. And they even went so far to say, this is the God that delivered you from slavery. They learned it from the society around them. If you can fast forward with the children of Israel and go to the book of Deuteronomy, you will find strong warnings... And when I say strong warnings, I mean God's going to say, you need to kill people that go down this road. Strong warnings, you're going to go into the promised land, and these people there are not followers of mine, and there are going to be some who are tempted by seeing their idols. And it says, do not even ask, what's that idol for? What's that idol all about? Don't even ask that question. In fact, the one among you, you Hebrew children, who asked that question, the Bible says to stone him and put him to death. Because God understood the tendency in man to want to put anything else before God. And so when we look at this, the application is obvious. The other worship that's going to challenge us to replace God is going to be something that probably in your society, in your community, is something that is pushed. And then the final point, number three, God's wrath on unrighteousness brings the penalty of being consumed with unnatural desires. When we talk about the Word of God and when we talk about the challenges that we face, we understand that there are some things that are hard conversations to have in our present world. When we look to the people in this world, and we look in the society that we are at, we see a progression. If you look right down to verse number 32, we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but if you look at verse number 32, it gives this idea of not only people doing things, but they're going to have to have the approval of others around them. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about politics today. I'm not going to talk about how you should vote today necessarily. But the Apostle Paul is going to bring up a topic right to the forefront for these people. And he's going to say this is one of the most vile demonstrations of a people that have turned away from God. And so when we look at Romans chapter 1, go ahead and look at verses, we're going to read verses 24 through 28. Therefore, God gave them up. I have that word underlined in my Bible. It's three times we'll see here. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to, dis, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they 
exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what, what ought not to be done. Look at the end of verse number 27. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The third point is God's wrath on unrighteousness brings the penalty of being consumed with unnatural desires. So we see man rejecting God as creator. We see man rejecting God as the one who should receive worship. And then we find a penalty. And when man rejects God in these ways, the result is going to be God gave them up. When you look at the relationship between a creator and a creation, some of the most horrible words that can be heard by the creation are the words, okay then, have it your way. If that's what you really want, fine. Have it your way. And we find the wrath of God demonstrated in our day to day where individuals are unable to see sin for what it is. I talked to an individual years ago, years ago, who was involved with the sin of adultery. And they were a Christian. And as I talked with them, they said something that I, I didn't think they were being square with me. I didn't believe that they really believed what they were saying, but from this text, I think it's true. That individual shared with me, he was having an affair, he knew the Bible, and he told me, Jeremy, when I was involved in that affair, when I was committing adultery, I genuinely did not believe that what I was doing was wrong. And I was taken back. I'm like... It's black and white. What are you talking about? There's no way that you're telling me that you think going and having sex with someone that was not your wife wasn't wrong. And yet here we find where God says, have it your way to this sin, of, to this, sin this sexual sin. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son where the prodigal son, remember the parable Christ told of the prodigal son? where Jesus tells that story and the son goes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance now. I'm going to, I want it now. Give it to me. And the father says, okay, have it your way. He waits a couple days and then he takes off, squanders everything. The father knew this was coming. When I look at the end of the story of the prodigal son, I have to believe the father knew it was coming because my son who once was dead now is alive. The one who once was lost now is found. That's why he's explaining to the other brother why they killed the fattened calf. And he knew that he was going to go down a bad road. Oh, have it your way. 
And I believe that we see the wrath of God demonstrated in our present world with that idea. A form of judgment when the men and the women were given over to sexual sin. And here's what you need to understand if you believe the Bible. This is not, when these men and women no longer have uh, an embarrassment about sexual sin. When they, know, when they want to have parades and brag about it. You need to understand that they do not have a freedom from God. That's not what that is. It's not a freedom from God. That is the judgment of God upon them, that they no longer are able to see God's plan for sex in the way that God has given it. And so they are not free from God, but they are being judged by God. And they're giving one of two messages. They're either saying... You did not make me. There is no God. They're either saying, you did not make me, or else they are saying, you should not have made me this way. The body that I have does not reflect the feelings that I have. You made a mistake in when you made me. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, let me just go to one application really quick right here that I I cannot move past Romans 1 without giving to you. If you have a hatred for homosexuals, you need to repent of that sin. We're going to look at a list of sins in just a moment, and hopefully we're going to bring that into a good context. But too many people, too many people in the name of Jesus Christ, and even quoting a Bible verse, will lead with that. And that is not going to be the way that people will understand the love of God. It's not going to be because you have a message of hate. Well, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. But I can't talk with them. Can't have a conversation with them. If you hate homosexuals, you need to repent of that sin. Because God can save them and God wants to save them. And if you have a connection with them and you know Jesus Christ, what's the chances that you're that tool? That you're that connection that can tell them about the love of Jesus Christ And if it constantly comes when you're looking down your nose that you are so much better than they are, then that is going to be an obstacle to the love of Christ breaking through. Human anatomy tells us that a homosexual relationship is unnatural, and that's the word that Paul uses here. And I'm not going to go much further talking about how man has perverted the sexual relationship, but I will just tell you that if you think it's going to stop in this area of homosexuality, then you're not paying attention. It's embarrassing to talk about these things. There are certain words that we find in the Bible and God's given clarity about them. And that is where our society is heading. And so understand that these individuals, the wrath of God is they cannot see that what that is is wrong. I find it interesting that in verses 29, 30, and 31, we find the longest list of sins that shows up in any of the Apostle Paul's letters. We find a laundry list of sins every once in a while. I'm going to mention another one in just a moment. We find the longest list of sins that shows up in any of Paul's letters. And you can read through that. And then in verse number 32, we find this idea that many people think there's going to be strength in numbers if they're acting in a way contrary to God. 
people around you that are going to expect you to get on board. So the message, the message from the Apostle Paul in these verses is about the wrath of God, but I'm going to close with the topic of hope. Do you mind if I do that? Nobody cares, do you? Don't you love hope? Hopefully you know Jesus Christ today and you know forgiveness. You know freedom from the bondage of sin. I want to just read another laundry list of sins, but we find the message of hope in the end. Just write down the reference, 1 Corinthians 6, if you're taking notes, because this list sounds familiar. In 1 Corinthians 6, we find this list where Paul writes to the church at Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Have we seen that in Romans 1? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a similar list, but here comes the beautiful theme of hope that he adds to it. Because Paul writes to that church after he gives that list of those horrible sins, and he says this, he says, and such were some of you. He's writing to individuals that started out as an enemy of God. They were under the wrath of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so if you're listening to this message today, I want to let you know that you can be saved from the sin of being an adulterer. You can be saved from the sin of being a thief. You can be saved from the sin of being a homosexual. God offers forgiveness. Let me give you three very practical things, and these are all right in the main points. They're kind of the contrary. What can you do? Number one, openly proclaim the reality of God. And I wish I could talk longer about this, but it's my challenge to you that you are talking about what God is doing in your life. Giving God praise and credit for the small little blessings. Giving God praise and credit for the big blessings. Typically, when someone comes to me, even if I'm in a hurry or going somewhere and they say, I've got a God story to share with you, I sit up and pay attention. We need to be not suppressing the truth of God. We need to be proclaiming openly the reality of God. How do we do this? By testifying of His good works. We're going to have a fellowship after the Sunday school hour, and there's going to be an opportunity at the tables there for people to testify of the works of God in their life. So I'm gonna give you a chance to practice this. Number two, constantly guard God's foremost place in your heart. This is the area of worship. Only God deserves your worship. And typically, it is not something that's a negative thing that wants to compete for that. It can be a very good thing that you will put in the place of God. And when we say that word worship, let me just say, this is what your life is going to revolve around. Your life should revolve around God. Personal worship, public worship, and if anything is fighting for that place, if you find yourself just letting something sneak in, be on guard. Number three, let the Bible dictate your values and beliefs no matter the cost. 
And I just pulled this away from there because it's such a sensitive topic to talk about in the place we live in and the day we live in. But let me challenge you to let the word of God be what sets all the values for your life, is points when you make decisions in your life. Let the Bible dictate your values, no matter what the cost. doesn't mean that you're unloving. And I don't want you guys all getting in a bunch of fights, okay? I don't, want, I don't want to get a bunch of phone calls. You're fighting about this. If God's word says it, you believe it. If you're forced to jump in there and figure it out, you know, how can I do this? What, what do I believe about this? But don't run away from it, okay? Just because it's sensitive, just because there might be a cost to pay, don't run away from it. If the word of God says it, then let that dictate your life. All right. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 8, please. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to close with this. Sometimes I say we're going to close with this, and I don't really close. I promise you we're going to close with this. We've been talking about the wrath of God. We've, been, we've talked about how God hands sinners over to the lust of their hearts. God uses this picture, this idea, this picture of turning over. He uses this picture three more times in the book of Romans, but we're only going to look at this one picture in Romans chapter 8. Because when you think of God saying, oh, have it your way, and he gives those people over to their sin and they can't even recognize, they can't even call it sin anymore. It's a horrible picture. But I want to point out one more time, and I have it underlined in my Bible, and I have a reference pointing me from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8, verse number 32. Would you look at it with me, please? It says in verse number 32 of Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This picture of God the Father giving his son over to take the sins of mankind on his shoulders. If you have not yet this day felt loved, Underline that verse. And if you have been forgiven, understand that God the Father gave him up to that torment, to that crucifixion, to that work, because he loves you. How beautiful. We have a God of wrath, and he needs to tell these people, none of you is better than somebody else. But along with that, we have a God of love, a God who gave his own son to be conquered by sin and by death, and a God who gloriously can change you and change me. That's how much he loves you. So is it a grim picture of the wrath of God? Yes, it is. And he's going to have to get a little more specific just to uh, jump ahead a little bit. He's going to have to talk to those Jews about here's why you guys are just as much of a sinner. And those Gentiles who thought they had a little more freedom, maybe rightly so, here's why you guys are just as much sinners. 
He's going to get them to the place where this is the wrath of God and it comes upon the unrighteousness of man. And then he goes to the wonderful place of all can be righteous when they recognize where they start and they recognize the only reason they can be up here is because God the Father sees the shed blood of Jesus Christ applied to your account and you can stand today as forgiven. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we stand in awe. It's confusing to think that there was, that that you're a God of wrath. But that's what makes the good news good. There is a wrath that is justified that's part of you, but I thank you also that you are a God of love. And I thank you that we can read these laundry list of verses and understand that very possibly that's been something that has described my life. And thank you for that commentary in 1 Corinthians where it says, and such were some of you, but God saved you. I praise you, Heavenly Father, that you saved me this day. On behalf of those here, listening to this message, I publicly praise you for giving your son over. And I thank you that he did not stay in the tomb and those sins did not remain, but they were conquered so that we could have victory in this present world. But would you give us a love that we need knowing that we are not better than anybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ, anybody who lives a lifestyle that we don't approve of and the Bible clearly condemns, we are not better than any of them We are just to be a a vessel that is one to give this message of love. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. As the piano plays through, I want to give you a chance to pray. Maybe you need to repent of some sin in your life. Maybe you are a judgmental person like some of these Christians in Rome were. Or maybe today, God is calling you to accept his gift of salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you will just ask him for forgiveness and to make you his son or his daughter, he will do that. He promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take just a moment to pray while the piano plays through.